Welcome to the Bridgetown Church Podcast. For the month of February, we are honoring Black History Month. Each week, members of our church family will be sharing stories that acknowledge and celebrate Black history from both their lived experiences and the world at large. Well, what's going on, Bridgetown family? This is Hakeem Bradley, just one among many. And I'm here with our sister Dara this morning. And we are excited to hear a little bit about her story. So first and foremost, sis, could you tell us a little bit about where you come from, family of origin, stuff of that sort? Yeah. So I was born in Princeton, New Jersey, um, college town. And yeah, East Coast. My family is Nigerian, Mm -hmm. Nigerian-American. My parents came to America in the 80s. for higher education. My mom was working on a double master's. My dad was working on a doctorate in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they met there. And so, yeah, my Nigerian heritage is deeply a part of who I am. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's sweet. I'm from Philly, so that just made me really Love excited. Got to get them cheesesteaks when you can. Yes. So, <laughs> I mean, you and I are sitting across these tables for the sake of celebrating Black History Month. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious to know from your experience and from your heart, like why does Black History Month matter to you? Why does Black History in general um, matter to you? Yeah. Yeah, just hear some of your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think Black History Month um, is such an important time to just stop and recognize the Black community as a whole and what the Black community actually consists of. Mm-hmm. It's not a monolith, right? Yeah. Um, and specifically African American history um doesn't just start at the slave trade, right? It Come starts on. back in Africa. Um and I think it's just an important time to remember that African American history is not just birthed out of um adversity, Mm. um, but also out of joy and out of geniuses, right? There's this quote that says, they didn't steal slaves from Africa. They stole doctors and scientists Mm. and preachers and and people who consisted of this society that they were contributing to and that are geniuses um, and have so much worth. Um, and so I think looking back and seeing how Black people have contributed to this country um, from its very founding to up to today is really important. But mm. I also think um, even for me as a Nigerian-American, it's also a time to listen to stories that are not my own, right? Mm. So my parents' history is so different than the history of African-Americans in this country. Um, and so right now I'm taking a class, I'm in seminary and I'm taking a class called African-American Spirituality. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of that, of that class, it's me just listening to these stories and yeah. the spirituality of African-Americans because um, it's a completely different history. And there's so much to gain and to glean from even taking a step back there and being a listener. Hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. So, you said several things in there. I'm like, <laughs> yo, <laughs> that needs to get unpacked. So one thing you said that really struck me from the gate was that black people are not monolithic. Mm-hmm. So when you when you say when you think about that, like, what is it about culture's view on black people that you think is just off when it comes to us actually not being 
monolithic. I don't know how to phrase that question better, but I just want you to unpack that a little bit. I think there is a limited imagination for what black means, Mm. for what, for who black people are, what they can do, um, what they can like from the kind of music they can like, or um, just interests in general. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's so detrimental to getting to know someone, to getting to to invite people into your community, into your space. If yeah. you already have preconceived notions on who they are, what they like, because all these things make up a person, right? Um, the small things and the big things from their heritage to kind of music they listen to. Um, if you see a black person automatically assume, oh, they're African-American mm. and they listen to this artist and this artist. And, and, and maybe it's not this conscious thought, but yeah. subconsciously you yeah. kind of already believe these things. You're completely missing out on history um, and on things about that person that might be completely not true. Right. Mm. And so I growing up, the stereotypes that were placed on me um, were African-American stereotypes and they were stereotypes that that kind of came out in this, yeah, you're too white um, mm. or like, why do you sound like that? Or why do you, why do you speak this way? Uh, or why do you like this kind of music? Yeah. Um, and the thing about stereotypes, this is um, from one of my favorite Nigerian authors, um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. She says in this TED Talk, um, called The Danger of a Single Story, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Everyone should listen to it. That The thing about stereotypes is not that they're false, right? It's not that they're completely inaccurate. It's that they're incomplete. Yeah. So a stereotype mm. um, might, let's say you you have the stereotype of someone um, and of a nation, a group of people, maybe 25% of those people could fit into that stereotype, right? Mm-hmm. But what are you missing out on the other 75%? You yeah. know, it's just an incomplete photo, um, picture of that. Um, that is yeah. good. <laughs> Yo, I'm learning a lot <laughs> this morning. So so I, there's another thing I'm going to piggyback off of, but just to go back on this one other thought is mm-hmm. you talked about black history not starting uh, with the slave trade mm-hmm. and that not all black history comes out of adversity. Yeah. And I'm thinking about like our media, right? You look at movies and music, a lot of it when it when there's like black leads or predominantly black cast, it's a slave movie mm-hmm. or a civil rights movie yeah. or a movie about hip hop or yeah. dance or whatever. And that's cool. Like we need those yeah. representations and, you know, media expressions. However, we don't get movies about like kingdoms and empires mm-hmm. built in Africa that mm-hmm. were thriving. Yeah. And we don't get movies about or or yeah, let me just stay on the movie track. Like we don't we don't get many books or movies about um, the doctors and mm-hmm. scientists that you were talking about. Yeah, whose names are unknown to us exactly because we don't take the time to actually uncover who they were mm-hmm. and what they did. So, why do you think much of the focus starts with the adversity of Black people when it comes to putting out media for the celebration, quote unquote? of black people. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's a really good question. Yeah. I think, at least right now, there's such a wrestling with American history. Some people are actually learning what American history looks like. Mm -hmm. And it's not this 
clean, censored version. And so I think maybe some of it is like, okay, let's actually tell these stories the way that they need to be told um, because they weren't told that way before. Um, And so maybe there's some some, um, good in that and actually telling stories that weren't told before. Mm. But I think it's also a way to keep people in a box and, and a way to say... Yeah, like this is this is just what you're gonna be known for. Yeah. Um, and that's just really sad to me. Yeah. Um, to just yeah, completely base a whole entire people group off of their challenges mm. um and off of white supremacy because black people exist outside of that. Yeah. Uh, and and have joy and have resilience um and stories. Yeah. yeah. Um a personal story of mine, I grew up, again, in Princeton, New Jersey, and so know how to, you know, be in a predominantly white space. Mm-hmm. Um, for college, I went to a school in West Palm Beach, Florida, and I was a music major. And mm-hmm. I got into this music program, and I was really excited. A lot of the music I listened to was folk music. Um, and so I had artists like Tracy Chapman that were like, yeah. that was it for me. But also like <laughs> a lot of the other stuff I listened to were, um, by white artists just by the way of folk music and, um, it is what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's what I was listening to. And so I remember coming to, um, one of my first voice lessons and having these songs that I picked out that I really wanted to cover. And I was really excited and I brought them to my teacher and, there were songs by like Coldplay and this artist Brandy Carlisle that I love. And I was like, this is what I'm like interested in singing. Um, and she was just so confused. And she was like, mm. she had met me one other time and she was like, yeah, I don't know. The, the song I had picked for you is this one. And she brings out this song. And the song is literally called Song for a Dark Girl. Wow. And it was based off a poem by Langston Hughes, who is brilliant and I cannot right. acknowledge that. But it was a song about, um, believing Jim Crow era, uh, African-American woman witnessing um, the lynching of her lover. Oh, wow. And she just puts this in front of me and gives it to me to sing. And that was just such a heartbreaking moment for me mm. um, to just realize that I only exist in this box for her. Wow. That outside of literally, it seems like that was the Google search, right? Song mm-hmm. for a dark girl. Um, she finds this song and that's how she sees me. That's the only thing that she could think of um, me existing in, in that yeah. bubble. Um, and so I think it's just a lack of imagination, mm-hmm. um, a lack of even caring to get to know someone, figure out their story, what they'd like, what they don't like. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So then unpack a little bit, like you've been alluding to it, kind of weaving it in and out, like unpack a little bit about, I don't know if this is the best word to say, but people's expectations or thoughts or preconceived notions about you being whitewashed. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned it earlier of like, or you talk white or you act white or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, what does that mean? Like, I can't stand that personally, uh, yeah. but this, <laughs> I'm curious to know, how did that make you feel when somebody would say that to you, whether that came from somebody who was white mm-hmm. or there might have been times where yeah. a black person might have said that to you or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, can you can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I think Anthony said this really well of just like, 
part of that space is like you're still trying to figure out who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're having these um, different, these feedbacks about how you exist in the world and and I think the first thing, I remember the first time someone said to me, man, you want to be white so badly. Oh, wow. My first reaction was, wow, is that what I'm portraying to you? <laughs> like, just mm. by being myself, by by liking what I like or dressing how I dress, like, that's that's what I'm portraying to you. And it was, well, that's what I feared I was portraying. Mm. And it was more of a sense of, like, what do I need to fix, right? And mm-hmm. that's that's such, looking back now, I'm like, no. Like, you were just existing. You were yeah. just being yourself. Um, yeah. And that was preconceived right as as something else and mm. and so i think what i hear now is just ignorance yeah i hear i also think it's very much um a consequence of white supremacy to look at someone and say this is exactly who you should be and mm-hmm. if you step outside of that then you're acting this way. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like it's a a form of control, Mm -hmm. of trying to control people and stick them into boxes. Um, And I think, I remember I worked at Starbucks for a little bit, and it was during the time that um, two Black men in Philly were Mm. racially profiled, kicked out. Mm -hmm. And so they, corporation-wide, they did a... Um, training on racial profiling. And they were trying to teach us that, you know, the the reason why uh, we naturally put people into categories is Mm -hmm. because we want to feel safe. We think that if we know who this person is or what they um, might do or their behavior, then we can categorize that in our head and feel safe about, like, our surroundings, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think... If that's the case, then as Jesus followers specifically, then what does it look like to be to be patient and love, mm-hmm. right? And to actually see people in a way that you're not just going off of instinct, mm. but also but actually taking the time to get yeah. to know someone, yeah. to get to know their story, to get to know um, what they like, what they don't like. So I I I think it's about being more patient and mm. not going with what you naturally want to go to to feel safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, mm. underneath there seems to be an underlying thought that to be black means you have to have non-eloquent speech. Mm-hmm. You have to be non-intelligent. Yeah. Um, and for you to utilize eloquent speech or intelligence is to aka seek to be white mm-hmm. and it's like whoa yeah like there's a whole lot of problems we can unpack with that so but many that's what i'm hearing yeah is that, is that at one point yeah okay. totally and i to me um there's so much brilliance in african-americans um and taking this class i'm just learning about the genius of african-americans yeah. also for my own story as a nigerian-american Nigerians are the most educated immigrant group in America. Mm-hmm. Right? I know, yeah, so, I found this out recently. I was yeah, like, come on now. <laughs> followed by South Africans and Ghanaian. Like, yeah. Africans are 
intelligent, brilliant people who come to America and make opportunities for themselves and then contribute back to this country as yeah. doctors and lawyers and and musicians and artists. Um, and so to me, the idea of intelligence and Nigerian or black doesn't, that doesn't make sense in my head, mm. right? It never made sense mm. when someone said, why do you talk like that? Yeah. My parents, they grew up learning what they call um, the Queen's English, right? And so my mm. dad's vocabulary is insane. Um, <laughs> he would tell me as a kid, you can't leave the house until your room is immaculately clean. And right. I remember just being like five. That's a lot of like, syllables. Dad. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I don't know what immaculate means. Like, I don't know what that means. Like, I guess I'm not leaving this house, you know, like <laughs> just brilliant people. Um, and so that doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me why, yeah. you know, being, yeah, eloquent and being black wouldn't go together in, mm -hmm. in someone's head. Because to me, the most eloquent people I know are black people, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it's wow. it's just about widening imaginations um, and not being so stuck on stereotypes that yeah. media is portraying. Yeah. You know? And let me just say this little quick thing, and I got mm -hmm. another question for you. Okay. <laughs> it's like there is also uh, a limited imagination when it comes to the continent of Africa as yes. a whole, where you have like these certain uh, things on television, like the commercials with mm -hmm. like kids in need and all of that stuff, and you think that's the expanse yeah. of what Africa has always been or, yeah. or what Africa is like now. And there's so many different cultures within Africa in and of itself. Exactly. I think it's almost the diver most diverse continent on the on the planet yeah, actually I believe that. um might not be i don't know don't quote <laughs> me on that but i'm just saying it might be that but fact check with but that said it it's just like I, I just love how you keep reiterating the need for a more expanded imagination yeah of and i guess we can take that even outside of black people but yes definitely. for everybody mm -hmm. but yeah we need that we need that for black folks um so now you find yourself in portland oregon mm -hmm. a very very predominantly white space. Yes. Um, how has it been navigating this? Yeah. So um feel like I am accustomed to trying to navigate white spaces, but it definitely changes. I think post-George Floyd's murder, things mm. changed so much for me. Um, and I think with Portland and the city kind of categorizing themselves and progressivism. Um, the idea can think, can can be that like, oh, we're anti-racist, right? Mm -hmm. So so we value diversity. Um, but sometimes the way that's kind of played out to me seems even more alienating um, at times um, of this kind of, sometimes I call it like, the I'm not racist smile that like I feel like I get on the street. <laughs> Yo, I feel you. <laughs> and it's just like, hi, I am so happy you're here. And it's like, I'm just going to Trader Joe's, you know, but like, you know, like, <laughs> but I think other than that, like, I think when you treat people like they're just kind of, how do I say this? helping filling your like diverse quota, right? Mm -hmm. Or just like part of what's um, making you feel better about yourself because yeah. you're anti-racist instead of just like another human. And mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a difference between like 
valuing someone and seeing them and, and not being colorblind. That's not what I'm asking for or looking for. But also just not seeing someone as solely based on their race, you know. Mm. So I think that's yeah. what I've tried to do, I think, is just really hope that people get to know me, yeah. um, get to know who I am as I get to know them. And yeah, I think, again, it comes back to preconceived notions. Mm. You are a well <laughs> that I wish I had more time to draw water from. Um, Thank you. Yeah, from your experience. Yeah, and just... How you're expressing all of that? I'm I'm really having a good time just listening to your story, and I'm sure many people are as well. So with that said, you are following Jesus and fellowship here at Bridgetown, which is another predominantly white space. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything culturally that you've had to navigate with that? Where you're like, oh, I feel like, you know, I wish I would see more of this, or there's mm-hmm. space for this, or. Um, there will be an expression that might look like this. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm trying to get at? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Not that not that gathering with other believers is supposed to be some consumeristic thing. Yeah. I'm not trying to articulate yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, no. I think what I've had to navigate here at Bridgetown is more of a deep appreciation for what I have been taught. Yeah. Um, primarily by Black people, by mm-hmm. Black um spiritual leaders, um, like my parents who are pastors, Mm -hmm. and um, just the, basically seeing that just because I'm in a place in a church that I love and I'm hearing teachings that I love and really resonate, um, the foundation of of my Christian life really began with Black people and Black Mm. people teaching me who Jesus is. And so I think there, sometimes there can be this like idea of like, oh, this is new and this is, uh, I don't know, maybe like this worship like is more these songs that like I, I listen to now and kind of a depreciation for what you were taught or what you grew up with. Um, And I'm having to find myself repenting and saying, God, thank you so much for what I was taught, um, from what I learned, that this is not um, a reinventation of the real, of the wheel, right? Um, This is church. Um, This church has been built off of the foundation of many people, um, people of color, people of, we talk about the Desert Fathers a lot, right? A lot of them are from Africa, right? Um, St. Augustine. And so just recognizing um, where Black people have made these um, really big contributions to Christianity as a whole Mm -hmm. um, and and my own life so that I don't kind of just glorify, um, you know, predominantly white spaces or or way I'm being taught um, mm. where that is just, I just have a long history of specifically Black people also teaching me so yeah. well and teaching me how to love Jesus so well. So. Yeah. Well, okay, sis. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to let you know, I see you. Um, I hear you. Mm. I value you. And even more than me, Jesus does. Amen. And this church family also does. Amen. And I'm grateful to be in fellowship with you um, and that you and I are also contributing to the legacy of the way of Jesus. Yes. 
as many of our ancestors have as well. Amen. And the pie of the way of Jesus has many different slices mm -hmm. that kind of look different, but mm -hmm. it all tastes good. Mm -hmm. And it, it tastes even better when we when we dine together. So wow. thank you for sharing your story. I love that. Um, <laughs> a little metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but family, we just want to say thank you for tuning in. And uh, God bless. God bless. And grace Thanks. and peace. All right, fam. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Black history, Oregon's past racism, and Bridgetown's vision for the future, visit bridgetown.church justice.